tried to stand up, I couldn't get up. I collapsed to the floor. I felt very, very, very sick straight away, like really kind of, this is bad. And I managed to crawl to the living room and I called Caleb, my son who was then nine, and said, call mummy an ambulance. And I remember all of a sudden about eight neighbours coming round and taking the kids away and... I remember John just holding me, saying, we're losing her, we're losing her, because I think I was slipping into unconsciousness, I'm not really sure. Mum had questioned and said, have you scanned her brain yet? And they said no. And it was after that that they did a brain scan, and that's when they found the 2.1 centimetre clot blocking the basilar artery. Keep doing your rehab, because your brain's plasticity just needs that work to go over and over things to learn how to do things again because it will do it it can do it it just takes time so time and patience and just self-love for all of that really hello this is stroke stories i'm mark goodyear in the uk due to the aging population the rate of first time strokes is expected to increase by nearly 60 percent over the next 20 years for people aged 45 or over however the rate of stroke survivors over the same period of time for the same age group will increase by over 120 percent still stroke can be isolating due to the lack of resources when you get out of hospital so we started stroke stories the podcast to seek out and to hear from stroke survivors. In this episode, we'll hear from lawyer Louise Reed from Nottingham, who suffered a stroke at the age of 36. I've got two children who are 8, 10. I'm a very keen runner, running every day, running marathons, racing, competing a lot. Got a husband, just a busy but healthy lifestyle. I'm a vegan as well. Just a typical family, really, just being quite busy living life. The stroke was about seven months ago now. It was on the 21st of October. I was counting days for quite some time. I know it's 250 days soon. It's in my diary, but I've now kind of managed to calm down a little bit and now I'm counting months rather than days. On the Saturday, the 20th of October, I went to Birmingham and raced for my club, Knott's AC, in a cross-country race, felt absolutely fine, had absolutely no problems. And then on the Sunday, watched my kids play hockey. I remember being a little bit tired that day, just sat around the hockey pitch feeling quite tired, but no headaches, nothing out of the ordinary at all. Visited a friend who said, oh, you seem a bit tired, but I was fine in myself. And then in the evening, me and the kids were getting ready to watch Strictly Come Dancing. My husband was working away in Dubai. And then I went to put some wood on the wood burner and I bent down to open the door to put some wood in. I closed the door and I went to stand up. And when I tried to stand up, I couldn't get up. I collapsed to the floor. I felt very, very, very sick straight away. Like really kind of, this is bad. And I managed to crawl to the living room and I called Caleb, my son who was then nine, and said, call mummy an ambulance quickly. And I remember shouting, help me. And I felt like I was dying. It was terrifying. Um, so Caleb called the ambulance. He also ran out the house and got some neighbours who live across the road, who uh, the gentleman's a police officer. And I remember all of a sudden about eight neighbours coming round and taking the kids away. And I remember John just holding me saying, we're losing her, we're losing her. Because I think I was slipping into unconsciousness. I'm not really sure. And I just remember them all being around me going, it's okay, just stay with us. And then the ambulance came and 
they asked me if I'd taken drugs. I was like, no. <laughs> and they tried to ask me to stand up towards the ambulance, but there was I, I couldn't stand. I'd lost the ability to stand by that point. So they brought the trolley to the kitchen door, put me in the ambulance. I was still able to speak a little bit. And I said to them in the ambulance, I said, I think I've had a stroke. I don't know why. I, I don't think I was suffering the typical symptoms of face and arm and speech straight away. And they said, oh, we think you're probably having a panic attack. And I said, I'm not having a panic attack. And they said, we'll take you in for observation anyway. By that point, my mum had come round. Someone had called my mum. So we went to the hospital where I was taken to A&E. Again, I said to them, I think I've had a stroke. My jaw kept locking. I felt really funny. My legs were convulsing, just like jumping around. And, and they just said, no, we don't think it's that. And they said, but we'll keep you in for observation overnight. So they, that's what they did. They put me in a bed, sent mum home. And nothing really happened until the next day. So I think mum was allowed back at... So this was at six o'clock on the Sunday. And I think mum was allowed back at 2pm on the Monday. So my mum came back at 2pm on the Monday, by which point I could not stand. I could hardly talk. I couldn't hold a cup of tea. I remember them trying to give me a cup of tea and I just spilt it all over myself. So they ended up giving me like a plastic beaker with a sippy end on, like a toddler would have, because my hand was shaking. And I know when my mum came back, mum had questioned and said, have you scanned her brain yet? And they said no. And it was after that that they did a brain scan. And that's when they found the 2.1 centimetre clot blocking the basilar artery. Once doctors had discovered Louise had had a stroke, they took swift action and her treatment rapidly moved forward. So once they diagnosed me with having had a stroke it was 23 hours later and they basically said we need to get you to theatre within the next 20 minutes we're afraid if you if you don't have the operation you're going to die if you do have the operation there's also the risk that you might die because it's a brain operation and we can't put you under general anaesthetic because you're too poorly and we're, their words were we're afraid it'll push you over the cliff so you need to have the operation under local anaesthetic is that okay <laughs> at which point I was still compass mentis I still heard everything I still remember all of that I just said yes I couldn't sign the consent form because I couldn't hold the pen any longer that all happened really really fast once they diagnosed me I was straight down to theatre I remember saying bye to my mum because I didn't know if I was going to make it it literally was I was very close to dying my husband was still flying back from Dubai I never spoke to him at all he didn't know what was happening never saw my kids again it was just a case of I remember saying to my mum in the slur that I had left please look after the children and tell them I love them and then I went to theatre they managed to remove 75% of the clot they said the remaining part would eventually be reabsorbed so they were really happy with how it had gone although the operation was a success Louise was shocked by her condition afterwards after the operation, I was really poorly, like worse than when I went to theatre. And I didn't know whether someone had slipped or done something wrong because I think I expected to come out of theatre with the clock removed feeling so much better. But I was so much worse. I, was, I had locked in syndrome for 24 hours, which was awful. And then I had left side paralysis. I couldn't swallow, so I was tube fed. Um, I couldn't really speak. I was completely slurred. I was just dribbling all the time. I was a complete mess and I remember them saying on day one when I was in, in intensive care they said to my husband she will get better we don't know how much better she'll get 
but we're in this for weeks and months. You've just got to be patient. And I was home after 12 days. I was tube-fed for the 10 days, then I was able to start eating soft food. So I was able to have mashed potato and just really soft food that I couldn't really choke on, yogurts and things. I had loads of physio in hospital. I had probably two sessions a day from day six. I really wanted to come home just to spend an evening with the children because they were really affected by me not being at home. So I asked if I could go home just for one Saturday night just to go and watch Strictly with them and just be at home. And my consultant said to me, if you can get yourself from your bed to your commode and there's going to be someone at home to help feed you and you can maintain a basic level of hygiene, like you can clean your teeth and be okay, then we'll let you go home. So that was my mission. They kindly put a commode next to my bed and put the curtain around. So for a couple of nights, they let me practice of just being able to turn my body out of the bed and get to the commode and use that. And there was a charity that very kindly let us have a commode at home and they delivered that really quickly. So I was able to have that at home to use. I have got a hole in my heart, which was discovered post-stroke. So they think that the PFO was responsible, but they don't know still why the clot formed. They'll never know whether I just had a clot and it got in the wrong place that formed in my leg, for example, or whether it formed because of stress. I had physio twice a week from the time I came home up until Christmas and with a lady called Emma, who was wonderful. And I got a personal trainer to help me with some stability and balance because that was still really poor and trying to learn to run again because I'd completely forgotten how to do it and all my technique. But I managed to do my first park run back in January. It was really slow, but my goal was Christmas, but I didn't make it. But by January, I was able to walk, jog, park, run in 42 minutes. And now I'm back running. I'm not as quick as I was, and that's fine. But I'm able to go out and run with my friends and have a nice time. And and now I just do basic core and strength work just to try and strengthen myself again. The stroke also had an impact on her two children and her husband, Chris. He was waiting for me in recovery once I was out of theatre. He's not left the country without me since. Callista, my daughter, has been fine. The only episode we had of her really showing trauma was when the first time she visited me in hospital, she vomited everywhere. We think that was probably fear of or shock of seeing with tubes and wires and things. Caleb's a really sensitive little boy and he's found it really, really difficult. So he refused to be left with me on my own for a long time. So if my husband needed to go out, he wouldn't stay with me because he was frightened of what happened. So we had to get people to come around. He's actually seeing a trauma psychologist still to process everything that's happened because we've noticed that he's developed lots of fears of lots of things now, things that never bothered him before. And he's just a very cautious boy now. And I just want him to be that free-spirited 10-year-old again. Life's just a bit more, I was going to say boring. Not boring is not the right word, but more sedentary because I don't really enjoy going out as much anymore in large crowds and I can't drink a lot. So going to a party where everyone's getting hammered isn't really my cup of tea. And if I have a drink now, I notice that it really affects my speech and my balance really, really quickly. We're just really enjoying being a family and being together and being at home and watching Britain's Got Talent and making pizza and just chilling out together. We've always been a very close family, but I think we were very busy before and I think we've just become a little bit more centred and prioritising us again. 
I'm still signed off work. I'm actually having surgery on Monday in Bristol to have the hole closed. So I'm hoping to go back. I've got a six-week recovery period after the operation, so I'm aiming to go back to work in July. I'm looking forward to being with my team again. I'm a litigator, so I deal with people's problems. So I don't know how much I'm looking forward to that part of it. Louise's busy, family-orientated life was stopped in its tracks by her stroke, and it proved to be a difficult experience for all of them. Not one to be easily defeated, she came back fighting and made an incredible recovery in the months following her stroke. Still to come on Stroke Stories, Louise reveals the effect that the stroke has had on her relationships. It's really strengthened some relationships and there's others that have drifted away. But actually, do you know what? That's okay because, like I've said a number of times, life was really, really busy and actually sometimes narrowing circles of friends isn't the worst thing to happen. And she talks about making more time for herself. I know that my passion for running is still hugely there. I spend more time now doing things I want to, like going walking and... I've got a puppy and reading books and I just take a bit more time to do the things that I want to do and enjoy. I think I'm still very much me. Let's hear how Louise reached out to help others with their stroke recovery. I did lots of research into stroke therapy and groups and forums and things. I read a lot, didn't participate in them directly. I was just one of those people that float around reading things and reading what people say. But I did make contact with a gentleman I was put in contact with who is around my age who had a, a stroke about a year. It was just had his anniversary, actually. He had a stroke a year ago, Ollie. And he's been a massive support to me. Like, we had really good chats. And I'd say, I'm feeling like this, and this is really hard. And what about this? And what about that? We had a really good chat about that. And then also, I know another runner who had a stroke on a treadmill on Christmas Eve. So actually, I found out his contact details and reached out to him to say, I'm a runner as well. It happened to me, and I'm doing okay. So I've used fellow stroke survivors to talk to but not necessarily forums nobody can know what it's like to have a brain injury and when I collapsed it was the most terrifying time I've ever experienced I felt so poorly and it was absolutely terrifying I just did not know what was happening and even now, I'm doing really, really well, but there are still little things. Like I still fall over quite a lot. My balance is still poor. And because it's a brain injury, no one can see what's wrong. And I'm doing really well. Everyone's like, oh, you're back to normal. And it's like, well, yeah, not really, but pretty much. But there are still things that are really upsetting that aren't right. But yeah, thanks. So having someone who still knows that the fatigue means you need to go to bed at 7.30 some nights because you just can't keep your eyes open and understands how you're feeling is really, really helpful. Despite Louise's recovery, her stroke has had an effect on her social life. I think my close friends are stronger than ever because... When I was first ill, everyone came to hospital. My mum laughs about it being like Piccadilly Circus. They had this timetable about when people could come and see you. And I think part of it was like, I was so poorly and there was obviously a chance that the worst could happen. I think people kind of want to be involved. They're a bit like, oh, it's a bit of gossip. Like Lou's collapsed and Lou's really ill. Let's go and see her before she dies kind of thing. And then actually, because I'm doing all right, I think people are just a bit bored of it. So some people have just gone away, but my close friends are closer than ever. And they're the ones that will send me a card in the post to say, you're doing really well. And I'm still thinking of you. And I know it's hard, but you're doing amazingly. Or those friends that will say, 
Do you fancy going for a walk and a chat today? It's really strengthened some relationships and there's others that have drifted away. But actually, do you know what? That's okay because like I've said a number of times, life was really, really busy and actually sometimes narrowing circles of friends isn't the worst thing to happen. I think I'm a more chilled out parent now as well. My daughter's going through a massive tomboy phase at the moment and she's eight and she'll come down wearing some absolutely horrific outfit and she'll be like, mummy, does this look nice? And before I'd be like, "Mm, maybe it doesn't go. And I'll just say to her, do you feel nice? And she'll say yes. And I'm like, well, that's fine then. Let's go with it. And things like that. I'm just, I'm just a bit more chilled out and I won't spend time with people that I don't really want to spend time with. And my husband says one of the big things he's noticed is my, apparently it's called executive function. I was always pretty honest before like a spade's a spade but Chris is like you put a bit of mud on it now as well and just just tell it how it is and a few of my friends have just laughed and said you know you're pretty brutal now you just say things how they are but I don't think there's any I'm not hurting people's feelings I don't think there's anything wrong with that I know that my passion for running is still hugely there I spend more time now doing things I want to like going walking and I've got a puppy and reading books and I just take a bit more time to do the things that I want to do and enjoy. I think I'm still very much me like that. I think I'm probably a bit more alert about who I am, what I want to be. And I've, I think I've always treated people nicely, but just being a bit more grounded, I think, about everything. I absolutely love the Peak District. We live in Nottinghamshire at the moment and I absolutely love the Peak District, which is in Derbyshire. And we're actually thinking of moving out that way just so we can be a bit more near where we really want to be and where we can walk the dog and bring the kids up. And so that's changing. And before we were a bit worried about not being near a city, but actually we realised we don't really need it that much. So I think that's going to be the biggest change that will come for us in the next couple of years. I want to be at London Marathon start next year. That's my goal. I have the up on Monday, six week recovery. And then from then on, it's building myself back up so I can do a marathon. Normally when I do a marathon, it's a 16 week training program. But when I do that, I'm normally starting from a relatively fit standard. So I think I'm going to have to use the months from July to Christmas as a building block for that and then it'll be the 16-week program after Christmas. I got a championship time which is where you run a certain time and you get to start at pretty much near the front of the race and I've got a championship place which I deferred this year because I wasn't obviously well enough to do it so I really want to be well enough to be at that start. And finally Louise says you should take time to recover and to rest. I think the biggest thing I would say is be patient and rest because it does come back, but it takes, you need to rest a lot to let your brain repair. You need to keep doing your rehab because your brain's plasticity just needs that work to go over and over things, to learn how to do things again, because it will do it. It can do it. It just takes time. So time and patience and just self-love for all of that, really. And I think for family members, just trying really, really hard to try and understand what the stroke patient might be going through because it is really, really hard. So just be a bit patient if someone's crying. So I know there's numbers of times when I just burst out crying and my husband just doesn't get it. And I've just said to him, please just be patient with me because sometimes you just need to have a big cry. (laughs) 
Louise has been on an incredible journey since her stroke, and her strength and determination to put her running shoes back on and race again is truly inspirational. If you'd like to learn more about stroke, please search for the Stroke Association online. Search NHS Stroke for a dedicated webpage. And remember to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and rate and comment because that'll help us spread the word. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.